Welcome to episode 80 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy, and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we talk about why it has taken us so long, 80 episodes, to do an episode on imposter syndrome. We share our own thoughts and experiences of being imposters and link to some resources by experts. We connect the dots between feeling like an imposter and motivation and why fake it till you make it might not be great advice. And we offer some suggestions to combat these feelings, including a big old reminder that we all think we're frauds and maybe that can be helpful. I'm Amanda Wagner, speaker, business strategist, and professional hype woman. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are tired of looking at others and saying, why are they doing that and I'm not, and are ready instead to claim their own spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and delights of being highly ambitious and how even though we're impatient and at times anxious, we can be intentional and make strategic decisions about how to get more of what we want in a noisy world. If you have ever felt like a fraud, like somebody is going to find out that you are a fake and that everything you've said and done up to this point was a complete fluke or a stroke of luck and that you're really a big old phony who will be busted at any second. Hi, hello, nice to meet you. You're talking to somebody who understands completely. Liz, do you understand this feeling? Absolutely, I do. I think this is a very normal feeling and fear that that everyone deals with at some point. Even though it's normal, it still sucks. And last week, Liz and I had a phone call and she asked how I was doing. And she asked for my honest response. This wasn't a quick, well, I'm good. How are you? It was really, how are you doing? We hadn't talked in a couple weeks. And I said that I was in kind of a shitty place after a rough month. Uh, This month included a car accident. We are all fine from. Our car is not. A holiday that didn't go as planned. And now I am going on three weeks of a sinus infection. So things are not hunky-dory over here. That said, in our conversation, I was incredibly human. And I told Liz, somebody that I respect and admire and love working with, that I felt like a total fraud. I felt like I had some elaborate ruse about how somehow I'm making everything look great. And my social media suggests that things are normal. And in reality, I felt like I had nothing to show for myself or for my work. And Liz said, we all feel like that. I feel like a fraud often. And I'm still waiting for Liz to list all the reasons she feels like a fraud, but I will believe her. Liz, will you give it to me now? Can you give me one example of how you think you're a fraud? Still waiting for it. <laughs> I, I, just, I just know this feeling. I know this feeling well. I don't have specific examples for you, but I know the feeling that you've got something on your plate or many things on your plate and you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling stressed. And it's so easy for that overwhelm and that stress to slip into a fraud-like feeling. So the question of why did I take this project? Why did I take on this job? Why do I have this task to do? Can sometimes feel like instead of why did I take this, it's I'm not qualified to do this. 
because of the stress that it's all causing. So I know that this is, this is normal. And it's interesting to hear you say, why did I take on this project? Why did I take on this client? Why did I agree to this? My brain goes to, why did they hire me? Why did they think I could do this? Why are they paying me for this? So there's a mix between the internal of why am I doing this? I feel like a fraud. And the external of why am I doing this? Why did they want me to do this? I'm clearly not qualified. I'm clearly faking it. We've put off this episode for a long time. We have been asked before to create an episode talking about imposter syndrome. And I've always passed it off. I mean, to get through three plus years of podcasting, I think is quite impressive to be able to just put this one to the side. But last week, somebody reached out to me and said, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen all the time. Have you ever thought about doing an episode on imposter complex? Um, And I was honest. I said, I have, but I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not informed enough. I'm not an expert. And obviously, somebody has done it better than me. And they should just go to that source because I obviously bring nothing to the table. That's immediately where my head went. I trust this person. I shared that with them. And then I got out of those feelings for a second and I asked this person, what is it in particular that you think I could bring to the conversation? Or what particular questions do you have that I could attempt to answer? I'm hedging all the way through this conversation because I'm so focused on the fact that I'm not an expert. Therefore, I think I have nothing to offer. They told me that just hearing other people talk about it helps. They said that looking at somebody that they admire and respect, knowing that they feel that also helps. There is something about the people and the women that we look at admitting that things are challenging, admitting that they feel like a fraud that I think just helps us all kind of settle in and take a deep breath. There's something about Michelle Obama saying that she feels like a fraud and me being like, no, no, Michelle, clearly not you, but clearly, yes, her. They also said, does this only plague high achievers and perfectionists? Or are there other people who aren't go-getters or aren't fussed by having things having to be just so do they still feel like frauds or is this just high achieving perfectionists? I'll tell you right now, I can't answer that question because I'm not one of those people. I am a high achieving perfectionist who suffers from imposter syndrome. This person also said, how do you work through the feelings and not let it impede your career or progress in life? Once again, I don't have all the answers, but what I can tell you is that I feel like a fraud probably 30% of the time, which is a lot less than I used to, interestingly. And I know with confidence, based on my experience and the research that I've done and what I've read and listened to, is that my job and your job is not to completely eliminate or eradicate this feeling. Our job is to reduce the amount of time that it holds us back. Our job is to feel like a fraud less often and for shorter periods. To hear that feeling, to see that feeling and go, okay, it's there. Now, what do I do next? Because that's what feeling like an imposter does. It stops us from taking action. So four years into the podcast, I am taking action. 
I am terrified to release this episode for all the reasons I listed. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't read enough. I am not Pauline Clance herself. Google that name. Pauline Clance, Suzanne Emmett Imes are the creators of the imposter phenomenon. They named it. I will link to it in the show notes. And I'm going to start by telling you where my imposter feeling is coming from. I started my first business in 2017. I listened to an episode of the Being Boss podcast with Tanya Geisler. She is an expert on the imposter complex. She digs into the history of the phenomenon. She talks about why we don't use the word syndrome. I'll spoil it for you now. It is not listed in the DSM-5 as a medical condition. I listened to this podcast. She has 12 lies that we tell ourselves that our imposter tells us and how to break them down. So how the hell could I ever possibly think about putting out an episode about feeling like an imposter when I think that I am one and when I have such a brilliant example of somebody else talking about it better than I could? So in order to create this episode, I had to do what I would tell others to do which is to look at the facts and debunk some of the bullshit. This lovely human who asked if I would do an episode about imposter complex did not ask me to write a research-based dissertation on the imposter phenomenon. I am not submitting my ideas or my janky ass script to a peer reviewed journal. I have never claimed to be an expert on this topic. I am an informed person who always shares her resources and cites the experts. I think that's incredibly important. I'm also allowed to share my thoughts. This person didn't ask me to give them all of the information and all of the data on imposter complex and where it came from in the history. They wanted my take. My take might even be intelligent. Those are the things I can share. I realize that we are... 10 minutes into a very meta discussion. (laughs) I was too afraid to talk about being an imposter because I felt like an imposter. So that is not lost on me. LP, why do you think it's taken us so long to get here? It's fear. No one likes to feel afraid and no one wants to spend more time feeling afraid. Fear is a thing we want to spend as little time as possible experiencing. And I think by diving deep into a conversation about that, it would require going all in on it. So typically we shove that aside. And I think that that's probably a big reason why we've, it's taken us 80 episodes to get here. (laughs) And it's not because we have a shortage of ideas. It's not because we don't have things to say. This just feels heavier for some reason. And I think that's because I personally got trapped in the comparison. I had this very specific episode. We will link to it in the show notes. It's episode 150 of the Being Boss podcast. It is fantastic. There's no way that my episode could ever measure up to that. And my brain goes to this place where I assume that every single person in the world has heard that episode, has read that transcript, and knows Tanya Geisler and knows that she's better than me, and she's more qualified than me, and her ideas are right and my ideas are wrong. That's where my brain goes. So I, in getting to this episode, what it has taken is me actually facing that fear and going, what am I really afraid of? 
Am I afraid of Tanya Geisler knocking on my door and going, bitch, please, who the hell are you? Your episode sucked. Mine is better. Not very realistic. Am I afraid that somebody says, you miscited an article? Yeah, maybe. That scares me a little bit, but that's avoidable. So what I had to do is I had to go back to, again, what would I tell somebody else? I would say, look at the facts. They're looking for my opinion on a topic. I can inform my opinion by reading tons of things, by listening tons of things, and by putting out there, I don't claim to be an expert at the imposter phenomenon or imposter complex, as Tanya Geisler calls it. It's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to share my thoughts. There are five things that I do know for sure about feeling like an imposter. The first thing is that even if it comes from a good place, like how fear keeps you safe, it is a terribly inconvenient way of my brain tricking me into thinking that I am not good enough. The second thing I know for sure is that feeling like an imposter keeps me stuck. That's its job. It delays action. So instead of doing something, I sit here and feel like shit about it. Third is that when I am feeling like a fraud at work, I start to doubt other areas of my life. If I feel like a fraud at work, if I question, why did this person hire me? That can seep into, am I also a fraud at home? Am I also a fraud with my friends? Does anybody really like me? Or are they just paying me lip service? This can get into some pretty deep, dark shame spirals of self-hatred. I know for sure that I put my energy into making sure I'm not found out. There are times where I put more energy into reputation management instead of into the things that really matter, like putting my words out in the world. And finally, I know that my brain tries to convince me that I'm the only one who feels this way. And if I admit that I feel like a fraud, everyone will agree with me and also think I'm a fraud. And I'll never be hired. I'll never be invited out for dinner. Or I'll never be asked for my ideas ever again. That is a lot to carry around. And very little of it is based on actual data and experience. Liz, what do you know about feeling like an imposter? I often feel like an imposter when starting something new, like a new semester or a new project or something I haven't tackled in a while. And part of getting through that is reminding myself that I'm good at this. Like you and I do this all the time when we've taken a podcast break or it's been a month yeah. or it's a summer. So we kind of front loaded our work and, you know, we're finally getting back to it and we have to remind each other that we're good at it. That helps the imposter feeling. Uh, but that's when that's when I typically feel it is when I'm, I'm getting my hands dirty again and I'm getting back to it. Mm -hmm. Getting back into the groove for me is where some of that impostery stuff can creep back in. I've also worked with people who have said that their imposter really flares up right after a promotion, right when they get a big contract. They're making more money than ever before. It's like when we get to this next level, what we think we wanted, this, this next successful step, that's when our imposter flares up. It's like, oh, you didn't earn this. You got lucky. Good luck maintaining it. That's where our brains go. 
Again, we, even though we logically know it's our brains tricking us, it doesn't always make it better. When I feel like a super fraud, so not just a fraud, a super fraud, I lean into my perfectionism. For me, that means that when I feel like I'm not good enough, why did they hire me? Who thinks I can do this? I lean into, if I just make this perfect, then I won't be a fraud. Or at the very least, they won't find out that I'm a fraud. So much of, of the work that we do is trying to cover up that we are a fraud, even though our logical brains know that that isn't the truth. When it comes to perfectionism and imposter complex, I can't figure out if it's a like chicken or the egg thing. Are perfectionists more susceptible to feeling like imposters because we have this high level of achievement and high expectations and we want everything just so? Or are people who feel like imposters obsessed with being perfect? Thoughts, Liz? I see, I see you thinking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, am, I am thinking about it. I, I, and I don't know the answer. I think that perfectionists perhaps are more susceptible to this because I think that there are different types of imposter complex or or imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. I think that you can maybe categorize different people that aren't just perfectionists. So I, I think that perfectionists might be susceptible to feeling like imposters because I don't think everyone that feels like an imposter is a perfectionist. Mm Mm-hmm. I also don't have the answer. I'm not like sitting back here being like, you get a check mark or you get an X. I was thinking of it in the opposite way, which is that, again, when I feel like an imposter, when I feel like a fraud, that's when I go through the extra effort to make sure that I'm perfect. I understand how it can be unsatisfying to not have a specific answer to this question. What I can say is that if it feels shitty, it feels shitty. Perfectionist or not, imposter or not, If it doesn't feel good, nobody wants to stay here. And one of the the ways to actually combat this is to stay here and think, what am I actually afraid of? What is this person going to find out about me? What if this client pays me a bunch of money and finds out that I actually don't think I'm that good? Sitting in that fear is terrifying and uncomfortable. And it helps us find the facts. I want to connect some dots when it comes to imposter complex and success. Tanya Geisler says that feeling like an imposter is linked to being unable to celebrate our successes. Our successes feel like a fluke or that we just got lucky or we had somehow a good day or that somebody didn't find us out and we live to see another day. But somehow, we internalize our failures. Our failures are our fault. Our failures happen because of our poor decisions. Our bad judgment got us here. So the failure is my responsibility, but my success is luck. That just pisses me off. (laughs) As I'm saying it, I'm mad about it. Because... That's such bullshit. How is that motivating? And this is where I, in my master's research, I I worked on uh, some studies about motivation, talking about attribution theory of motivation. So bear with me while I nerd out for two minutes. 
the attribution theory of motivation starts at the end. It starts with the result and looking at if it was a success or if it was a failure. And noting that if you felt like you had some control and it was attributed to yourself, you would be more motivated if it was a good outcome. So if I'm successful and I go, here's why I'm successful, I had some control over it. I know that those circumstances could change based on how I adapt to situations. Then I go, hell yeah, I'm motivated to do the next thing. If my success is attributed to something outside of me, it becomes luck. Similarly, if I attribute my failure to me fucking up, to me not being good enough, to me doing something wrong, I am not very motivated. So our job here, when, when we're connecting the dots between feeling like an imposter and success or failure, is to get really clear on what are the things that I contributed to my success that I can do again? How do we replicate that? And if there is failure that's also attributed to something I did, I can change that. I'm not stuck there. So two big ideas. Is it internal or external? Is it, did I have some control or is all the control or influence outside of me? And that second piece being, is this stable? Am I going to be like this forever or can I change it? What we want is to be able to look at outcomes and say, here's how I contributed and I can change that. I can change the amount of effort. I can change the amount of resources that I put into it. That is where motivation comes from. That's what keeps us moving. So I will link to an article about attribution theory. If anybody else wants to nerd out, there's a beautiful little chart that I will send you. Um, where I want to take it is that the phrase fake it till you make it is something we hear a lot. It's even something that I've said. And I know people will say, well, just fake it till you make it, right? And I've said, yep, because I don't have a quick response. I don't know how to say, I don't know if that's true. Liz, tell me your feelings around this phrase before we go deeper. I say it all the time, but I think that the phrase fake it till you make it is not actually about faking it. Tell me more. I don't find that the saying fake it till you make it is actually encouraging the action of faking. You actually can do it, but you're leaning on the phrasing of faking because you don't have the confidence in the fact that you can actually do it. So by telling yourself that you're faking it, you're creating a safe space to try. I think that it's like a crutch. I don't think that anyone just decides to do something and has absolutely 0% skill or zero idea of what they're doing. I think there's a nugget there. And so they're leaning on the fact that, well, I'm just faking it. I'm just pretending. But that's a way of like convincing yourself to actually do it. Liz Pittman, everybody. Can we put one of those clapping sounds <laughs> into the podcast? <laughs> Does that make sense? I feel like I said fake 25 times. You said it 17 times and it makes sense. It does. So so faking, to, fake it till you make it. You're saying the idea of being fake is a placeholder. It is this temporary feeling that helps you get into action because it makes it safer. Yeah, it's like creating confidence, even though this, you have the skills all along, but fake is like providing this space or this buffer for, I think by saying fake, you're allowing yourself 
to be open to the idea of it not going well, because you're just faking it. You're not an expert yet. You're just faking it, but you're creating this safe zone to eliminate more of that self-doubt. Okay. Counterpoint. By saying fake it till you make it, are you perpetuating that you're a fraud? I think that you might be, but it's allowing, instead of just sitting there being a fraud and not doing it, mm-hmm. saying fake it till you make it is getting you started. Okay. So I think that, I think it's used more as a crutch or an opportunity to just fucking go instead right. of sitting here in the doubt. So at what point do you not fake it anymore? At what point do you just make it? <laughs> Once you've faked it, yeah. quotation marks around faked. Once you've done that enough that you feel more comfortable, there's that's that answer to that question is going to be different for everybody. Maybe you just fake it once. And then there's the reassurance like, oh, shit, I do know what I'm doing. Right. Maybe it takes 15 times of faking it until you feel like you are making it. So you have to fake it for long enough to gather some proof that you know your shit, you know what you're doing, and then you're no longer faking it. Either physical proof or a feeling right. of confidence or validation. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think the feeling is incredibly important there because that has been my big question. Like at what point does fake it till you make it, whether or not it works for you, become I made it because my ability combined with my effort and tenacity and resources and privilege helped me do it. But that doesn't quite roll off the tongue like fake it till you make it does. So to go back to attribution theory, when you attribute your success or the outcome, something great that happens to having faked it or to getting lucky, how motivated are you to put in the effort and the resources to try it again? And this kind of comes back to this attribution theory. If we start with the result, if we give ourselves credit for a positive outcome, and we know that we have some say, that will help us be motivated to do the next thing. I think the my big shining moment here is that we struggle to give ourselves credit. We struggle to trust that we have any control or influence over the outcome. And we don't know how to take people's words and actions at face value. Observation here about half an hour in. I feel far less fraudy than I did in the beginning. Why? Is it because you fake it but didn't actually fake it? You just created a safe space to explore it? <laughs> oh, Liz has chosen her hill to die on. <laughs> um, maybe. I think what it is, though, it's, it kind of feels like how I use self-deprecating humor. If I say the self-deprecating thing before I start then I'm not as afraid of it. I started this podcast by admitting I'm not an expert. I'm not the only person who's ever talked about this. My ideas might not be very good. That's how I created a safe space, by talking myself down. Because in some ways, if I talk myself down, then what anybody else says about me will not hurt as much. And that's what I'm afraid of. I've had this conversation in therapy many times where... Sometimes people will say that I'm very confident. Sometimes people will say that I have a huge ego and that I'm not humble at all. And in reality, this confidence or this ego 
is not because I think I'm amazing. It's because I think I'm a piece of shit. And so I have to overcompensate. That sucks to say out loud. That imposter is what creates my perfectionism. That's my experience. One person, I am not saying this is true for anybody else. But when I look at this imposter actually saying, it's saying you're not good enough. It's saying you're not smart enough. It's saying go get another degree. It's saying go back to school for this. It's saying don't release that podcast episode because you've only read three articles and you should read, read 30. It's holding me back from taking action. And if I were to ask myself, so when will I be ready? Probably never. So in my case, I think by looking at that data and going, so why do I speak this way? Why am I so afraid of being found out? I'm so afraid of people finding out that I think I'm a fraud because I personally don't think I have a lot of self-worth or value to bring to the table. Now, I am not saying this is true 100% of the time. You do not have to send um, emergency mental health support. I am well taken care of in that capacity. But having this conversation is also opening me up and saying, I feel very human. And isn't that what we want, to be able to see each other as humans? Now, notice that I don't have to go on and on and spread this throughout every single channel. I don't have to share this with everyone, but I also don't have to keep it to myself. This is one moment in time with how I'm feeling right now. But the reason it feels easier is because I'm like, I met with somebody else across the screen from me, Liz, who's saying, I felt this too. And for me, I use faking it as a, as that placeholder confidence to build it so that I remember that I have it. I go, okay, that's her strategy. Liz, how are you feeling now? I feel great. I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm glad that 80 episodes in, we're finally fucking doing it. <laughs> what I will tell you is that in the podcast episode that's linked in the show notes with Tanya Geisler, she says, you know, I'm citing Pauline Clance and Susan Amantimes and these just heroes of understanding this phenomenon. And she said, maybe one day somebody's going to be talking about me like this on their podcast. And I looked her up this morning before recording. Uh, and I'm going to send her an email and say, just so you know, I am talking about you in this way. And because I believe in don't ask, don't get, I want to hear from the expert. I'm going to ask her to come on the podcast and see if she will share and help debunk some of the bullshit that is keeping us from taking action, that is keeping us scared, and that is making us doubt our abilities in multiple areas of our lives. So we've got this far. We're talking about how we're, we're humans and we're all frauds in some capacity and that our job isn't to eliminate this feeling, but to move forward from it and to shorten the amount of time it affects us. But how? How do we do this? From my perspective, the first thing, and we've talked about this already, is to look at the facts and start to take people at face value. We have talked before about what will they think and naming who is they? Who are the people that I'm actually willing to take feedback and advice from? For example, my mom's great and she doesn't get a say in my business. I'm a believer in take what works and leave what doesn't. So any feedback or comments that I get, 
I get to use what works and leave what doesn't. That's my job. My job is to differentiate between what's helpful information and what information keeps me stuck. I also have to trust that not everyone is paying me lip service. People, this is a very adolescent understanding of the world that I think many of us have. We think that everybody is looking at us with the same amount of scrutiny and criticism that we're looking at ourselves. And that's simply not true. We're too self-involved for that. We are not paying nearly as much attention to other people as we are to ourselves. So I can guarantee that if somebody wants to spend time with me, if somebody wants to hire me, it's because they want that. Not because they're trying to take care of my tiny baby feelings. It means looking at these feelings and where they're coming from. And yeah, it's hella uncomfortable. I feel like an imposter. Why is that? Now let's go to the facts. I also think, and this might be controversial, my second suggestion on how to kind of combat these feelings and bounce back from feeling like an imposter is to take humility off the pedestal for a second. I'm not a fan of humility, as you know. Again, people say I have a giant ego and all that shit. Um, Sure, maybe I do. I think we get obsessed with being humble, that that is the most valuable characteristic be humble, be coy, be kind and grateful. And it means we can't take a freaking compliment anymore. Just last night, a friend of ours was over. We hadn't seen her uh, in about a year and a half. And she said, Hattie, you look great. And I said, oh, thanks. It's a great outfit. And she said, just say thank you. I was like, yeah, right, you're right. I don't have to justify, oh, it's a great outfit. Oh, I had a good hair day. Oh, it's because I washed my hair. I also don't have to discount and go, oh, this old thing? Oh, really? I'm allowed to just take the compliment. I use the language of taking the toast. Because if you imagine a toaster, when you push it down, it takes the bread and the bread gets all nice and toasty and warm and delicious. I want you to do the same thing with compliments. I want you to take that toast. I want you to say thank you, internalize the compliment, and feel all warm and nice and toasty and delicious inside. I think we think that by refusing compliments or making an excuse, we don't internalize anything good about ourselves, and I want that to change. This third one, and... I have a feeling already that somebody's going to be like, yeah, right, like that shit works, which is fine. I'm a big fan of writing down our victories. The victory log gives us proof. So yes, my brain is incredibly powerful and will look at this list and go, but I have five times as many things that are shitty or that I didn't do well or that I failed at, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want the victory log because maybe it won't help me today, but God knows I love finding these scraps of paper from victory logs that I have started in the past. If you want a method for finding proof and use it to help you move forward and make progress and actually be productive, I encourage you to go back to episode 79 and listen to Coach Jenny's method of gathering proof using the make it happen method and using it to propel you forward. So I invite you to go back and look at that. This can be as easy as a note in your phone or a notepad on your desk you just write down the things that went right. Bonus is if you look at those things and can attribute that success to something that you did. 
It was not a fluke. Something you did contributed to that success. That is going to help you take action faster and more often. I also want you to celebrate. So here's your job. I want you to find a piece of proof. I want you to look at a victory and I want you to tell me about it. I'm going to ask how you're going to celebrate it and then you're going to celebrate it. So for real, anybody who's listening to this right now, I want you to think about a victory or a piece of proof that you can take at face value and give yourself some credit for. I want you to send me a voice note or a text in my DMs at the Amanda Wagner on Instagram or send me an email hello at theamandawagner.com. I want to know. I want to know your victory. I want to know your success because I want to champion you and I want to tell you to celebrate. I believe that when we celebrate, we can internalize that feeling. We can cement it and we don't just let it be another day that goes past. So even if we have never met and you think that I get too many emails and DMs, I want you to do it anyway. I have put an afternoon in my calendar for tomorrow afternoon, the day after this episode airs. And this afternoon is dedicated to responding to those comments, those emails. I will respond. And I will ask you how you will celebrate. And you are going to go celebrate and you are going to cement your success and give yourself credit. You're going to take the toast. And it's probably going to be hard and uncomfortable. And I don't care. I want you to do it anyway. For what it's worth, talking about feeling like an imposter makes me feel human. And that can be really scary as a business owner when you put yourself out in the world and say, guess what? I think I'm a giant fraud. Why would somebody hire me? And it turns out they hire me because I'm honest about these feelings. Because I can connect with other people and say, guess what? I have felt that too. I feel like I'm not alone. And I hope it helps you feel that you aren't alone either. We all want to know that that person on the other side of the Zoom call or in another place in the world on the phone understands us as humans. Once again, my commitment, I'm leaving this podcast recording and I'm going to go shoot our pal, Tanya Geisler, an email. I'm going to say thank you and I'm going to say, I'd love for you to join us. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, I want to hear your victory. Give me proof of something that you are so damn proud of. Liz, what do you do when you have to celebrate? A lot of people are bad at celebrating. So let's give some suggestions. What do you do to celebrate? I love going out for dinner or like going to get a nice cocktail or something. If that's not something that's doable, I just like making a nice coffee or just taking a second before you continue on to the next mm -hmm. thing. Just creating even just the teeniest bit of space to be like, I'm amazing. I'm really good at what I do or yeah. I made that person's life so much better or whatever it might be. doesn't have to be huge. Yeah. Dinner's great. Cocktails are great. But five minutes with a nice coffee yeah. at home is pretty a-okay as well. And that's exactly it. I'm similar to you. I love a good dinner out. I like a cocktail. I like cementing the moment and saying this is for this. I can also do it with a cup of coffee and cheers at home. Sometimes I will ask my partner. I'll be like, okay, I need you to cheers to me. And he'll cheers about something that went really well. I will also phone a friend. Sometimes that's enough. Where I, Liz, you and I have done this where I'm like, can I call you and brag for 10 minutes? And it's like, yep, have at her. And I'm going to talk about how awesome I am and how well this thing went. And that can combat me feeling like a fraud, especially if I can attribute that success to something that I did. 
So again, please tell me, find me on Instagram at the Amanda Wagner or by email, hello at the Tell me your victory. Give me proof of something that you are so damn proud of. And I will respond and I want to hear how you celebrate. In the spirit of don't ask, don't get, I am here with an ask. I am looking for people, companies, institutions, conferences with stages. If you have a stage, I have a talk or a workshop for you. My jam is to customize a topic with clear objectives to make sure that you get what you want and I get something out of it too. I thrive in the spotlight. It is one of the things I do best. So whether your audience is four people or 400 people, I'm in. Put me in, coach. Uh, check out theamandawagner.com for some of my core topics and fill out the contact form. Even if you don't know exactly what you need, I will help you figure that out. We will do it together. And if you need digital communication support, whether that's social media or writing or putting a newsletter together, you're just feeling frustrated and stuck and you need an extra set of hands or another brain, I can help. Visit my website, lizpittman.com or find me on Instagram at lizpittman. I'm going to chalk this episode up to a piece of proof for us going, we took a topic that we were afraid of doing and did it anyway. And to me, this opens up a whole other avenue of where we can take the podcast and the conversations that we want to have. And because I don't feel like a fraud after having this conversation, I'm going to go send some emails because I'm not scared. So take that, imposter. We have a new episode coming out in two weeks. AW, do you want to tease what people might hear in that one? I do, because we are talking about imposters today and feeling like a bit of a fraud. We are featuring the incredibly talented, thoughtful, well-spoken, well-written Jessica Antony. She will be joining us on the podcast to talk about two core things. Number one, why facilitators can make magic in rooms and with teams of people and help you get the, the result that you actually want. And that second piece, which is so clearly tied to being an imposter, which is why we need to get our words and ideas out in the world. I have worked a little bit with Jessica on this damn book that I keep talking about. And she sent me one line in an email that was a game changer. She said, this book is yours. Let's go get it. And I thought, okay, we created some ownership. I cannot wait to hear what she brings to the table as far as why we need to share our words even when we feel like imposters. She, I'm sure, will have some great things to say. I cannot wait for this conversation. In the meantime, you can find her on Instagram at jessica.antony, A-N-T-O-N-Y, and we will hear from the expert herself in two weeks. So excited for that. That'll be episode 81, and this is a wrap on episode 80. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back in two weeks with that episode, and until then, we'll see you on the internet. I always think it's funny because we do end every every episode being like, yeah, we're good at this. We know what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.